Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Sam Howlett, and today I'm joined by Jake Cunningham. Hello. Uh, special episode. Uh, so you may have already heard our Good Time episode. It was released... Today. Today. Yeah. So this is an extra special episode as we'll be discussing Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool and Ingrid Goes West, as well as playing you some interviews we've had with the directors of those films, Paul McGuigan for Don't Die in Liverpool and Matt Spicer for Ingrid Goes West. Yes, um, and so we kind of we got ahead of ourselves during uh, a recent film festival and recorded as yeah. many interviews as we could, failing to think about when these films are coming out. Um, and fortunately, it, three of them were released on the same week. Yes, um, which but, is really helpful. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's extremely helpful for us for recording and editing purposes. <laughs> but perhaps you as listeners, this is great because you get three great interviews. Definitely, definitely. Okay, uh, let's start with. Should we start with film stars don't die in Liverpool then? Yes, um, and this is this is a film I've actually kind of I've warmed to more than I've thought about it. Okay, do you want to give us a bit of a plot? Yeah, um, so this is about Gloria Graham uh, and Peter Turner. So Gloria Graham was an actress, and she was big in the kind of film noir time, thirties, um, forties. She was a bit of a femme fatale character. Uh, people might recognise her as the kind of flapper dancer girl from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Um, and but she's been in lots and lots of things and she at the later end of her career she moved to England where she was doing theatre and at that time met a chap who was living in the house chair she was in called Peter Turner who was a Liverpudlian and uh, they kind of got into a relationship and Peter got swept up in her uh, kind of world of old Hollywood and went out to America with her and New York and LA and showed her Liverpool and London. And it's this, it's a, it's a burning, intense, short romance is what yeah. it is. Um, and we're just given uh, a glimpse into that short time period that they spent together. Okay, so this is Jake's interview with Paul McGuigan. Enjoy. So uh, we're delighted to welcome uh, Paul McGuigan onto the Curzon Film Podcast to talk about film stars don't die in Liverpool. Hey, how are you? Yes, yes, I'm all right. Um, I want to start off with uh, asking you about adaptations. Uh, so for you, where this story came from, was it a case of finding the book, the script? Was it just an idea that someone told you? Um, I was actually at a screening of a friend of mine's film and 
a producer called Colin Vames, who I've known for quite a while and who I was working with for a while, um, saw me across the room and he looked at me in a strange way and I was like, why is he looking at like that? And he came over and he goes, you're the guy. I don't know what I was thinking about. You're the guy. And so he, he talked about this project he had and he mentioned that, that Barbara Broccoli was a producer. And Barbara and I had been in touch with each other over a couple of projects before, so we knew each other very well. And um, he just gave me the script and he gave me the book at the same time. So I had the pleasure of, when I travel up from London back up to Scotland, I take the train so that I can read scripts and, and, and read books and stuff. And so I, I read both on, on the train up. I mean, the book's tiny, so it's, 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 it's just a little book. Um, but what I loved about it was it was so small and it was, it was like a... It was just all the highlights of a relationship, but it was so condensed and so beautifully written. And the script kind of stayed on par with it, you know, and I just thought it was a beautiful, very um, moving piece of work without being sentimental, because mm. it, it was a real story about real people. And then of course, Gloria Graham, I, I, I knew of, you know, um, you know, In a Lonely Place is one of my favorite movies and was one of my favorite movies before I, I did this. It certainly is one of my favorite movies now that I've done this film. And so I was very aware of her, and I was kind of aware a little bit of her backstory and her, her, her life. But the, the, what I liked about the film was it was over a three-year period. It wasn't about it wasn't a Gloria Graham biography. You know, it was it was the film about this love story. And and when you get given a book and a script at the same time, do you, do you read one then the other, or do you start on the book and you think, oh, I've got to see how they visualize uh, that? No, I did the opposite. Way, actually, I read the script because ultimately that's what I'd be working on. Um, and then I read the book, and, and there were some things in the book that I thought should have been in the script, and we changed it as it went along with Matt, the, the screenwriter. And um, But, you know, and I wanted to work with Barbara Broccoli. I've always wanted to work with her, and she's just a wonderful human being and, and a great inspiration. Well, I've got, got to ask about that, because that's, that's not a name you're expecting to see pop up that often outside of a, beyond, a Bond, Bond film. film. So how yeah, did that yeah. happen? Well, she was friends with Peter Turner She's been friends with Peter Turner since she was 17 years old. And she was her that actually um, sort of tried to convince Peter to write it down, write his story down in, in a book. And so she's been trying to make the film for 20 odd years. I mean, if Barbara Broccoli <laughs> it takes her 20 odd years to make a movie, then you know that she's very passionate about it. Um, and so, yeah, and, and when the screenplay came up, she took the rights to the screenplay and, and she got Matt to work on it. And, it's been a labour of love for her for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, so when, you, when you're casting a film that is about a film star that is very recognisable, that's got to be a humongous challenge. Well, I don't know how recognisable she is, to be fair. But yeah, I, see the so photo, I see the photo at the yeah, start yeah, yeah. of the film. Yeah, and exactly. I thought that was really neat by yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we, you know, it was interesting because this was 1978 when Peter first met Gloria. And it's the pre-Google days, obviously. So you know, he, he, you know, obviously the film would have been over very quickly if he, uh, if he could just <laughs> Google her and find out about her, you know. So when you say she's recognisable, I think you're right. In, in, in one respect, is I think when you go uh, retrospectively into her world, you kind of go, oh, that's that woman that was in there. This was. She's not got that face that you think, or that. I mean, maybe the face, but she doesn't have the name. I think that you'd mm. recognise straight away. So it, it's always. I've never done. I've never done a movie about a real person before. You know, somebody who actually lived, breathed, and who didn't. Who just recently passed away. So um, that was a big challenge. But it wasn't something that we could ever. When I met Annette Benning, for instance, we never talked about. Well, we've got to do this for Gloria, or we've got to do this for Peter. We just have to do. We just have to tell the truth. 
we just have to be honest about what what happened and 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 what the film's about. And we certainly didn't want to make a sentimental journey into the past. You know, it's not about an old lady dying in a room. It's not about a film star who's who's you feel it's not it's not it's not like you know the film star who still replays all her movies out. You know, didn't have that edge to it. It was just a, an honest, as I said before, very condensed love story that. I think was important to tell and of course her being a big star that brought its own baggage with it and that's what the movie kind of deals with you know mm. um, the fact that you know she, 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 she didn't want to lose her hair to get treatment and you know and it's the things that the, 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 the women still have to put up with these days you know and, and it's very re relevant now to these days I think Gloria would have been the first person on, 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 on Twitter she would have got the first Twitter account for sure <laughs> <laughs> and she would have had something to say about this male-dominated world that we lived in, because that's basically what 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 killed her career, you know, um, was that Hollywood just couldn't deal with her personal life. It couldn't deal with her crazy personal life that she yeah. had, you know, and so she went out of f f favor. So it's nice to make a film with Annette Bening that that celebrates a woman of a certain age who's still sexual and still incredibly present and still can be misbehaved and still can can stay up with the best of them and be young you know and i think that's important yeah and well something that i really liked about it is that if in another film you switched the genders of the two lead characters that age gap wouldn't be commented exactly on. yeah it's interesting isn't it because it's very true and that's what kind of that's what scandalized hollywood because she was fond of her young boys for sure and we, we know that, right? That's a part of her, her own personal history. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. And it wasn't until we did the film, actually, it was weird, because we never, during the film of it, thought, oh, let's make a kind of film that celebrates a woman of a certain age. You know, it was just celebrating Gloria Graham, and suddenly you realise that how powerful she was as a woman and how strong she was as a woman and how modern she was as an actor, you know. And she, she, she could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best of them in Hollywood, you know. She was married to, to Nicholas Ray, for God's sake, you know. She was... You know, in the big heat, you know, she'd go toe-to-toe -to -toe with all these guys and all these big, big show, all these very misogynist men. And, and there she was, you know, still giving it sass at the end of the day. And that's what I loved about her as a character, about Gloria Graham as a character, you know. Yeah. And the, um, what's, what's really lovely is that all the people that you surround the, them with in the film, Barb, maybe her sister, are completely into this relationship as well. It would be so mm -hmm. easy for the previous generation mother and father yeah. to be up in arms about this yeah. but everyone is just so caring I think you know and I don't want to sound too romanticism about working class life in the UK and all that but I think there's something about that close-knit families that they will always you know if you come back with a girl or a boy or whatever they'll be like they'll stand by you they'll, they'll stick with you they'll if, if 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 he loves them if he loves her that's good enough for us you know that's that's the kind of mentality which I think is really good and I think that's what Gloria craved later on in her life she never had that her her family were so kind of fractured and and all over the place that i think that her being in liverpool was really important for her at the end of her life you know that she really needed that and craved it and felt even though her family she only known peter for three years that was a big important part of her later life was to know that family and know how much they did accept her you know and yeah. didn't judge her you know that that the Bella never judged Judge Glory. She never, you know, Peter's mum never judged her. Yeah, well, that that was one of my favourite li tiny little moments in the film is when we we go into the bedroom with um, Bella and Gloria and they're just having a cup of tea. Yeah. And they just look like they've been friends for about I know, 50 chatting years. Away. I know. 
Yeah, I, was that, I imagine for you, that must have been quite an amazing moment to just put Annette Benning and Julie Waters yeah. in bed. Just, I've, actually just got have, a, I've actually got a picture of me in between them in bed as well. Yeah. It's nice, you can't miss a part of it. Yeah, no, the, the, the whole film was like that, actually. Uh, Julie Waters have been an amazing fan of for years, and everyone came to this with such a love for the story and such a genuine understanding of what the story really required and what it needed, you know. And so, yeah, it was wonderful, and, you know, Annette Benning and, and Julie Walters became instant friends. So that scene in the bed was them actually having a laugh. I know, thought I it might shot, been, yeah, yeah, no, I just shot whatever was happening, you know. Yeah. And there was lots of that in the film where it was just them cracking up or, yeah. you know, just adding bits in. And, you know, it was, mm. it was a good times. So um, through the film, we, we kind of journey into the past via... Um, via memories that I, you transition in between them really love like it's, oh, it's quite theatrical yes um, but um, the memories in a way to me feel like they are a bit more traditionally cinematic in how they've been shot and <coughs> put together yeah I mean an, you know my overall when I came to this story I really had one big idea <laughs> which isn't more than I normally have but uh, the big idea was really um, that to, to understand the fluidity of memory and to, to visualise it, you know. So the idea is... Because memory's not a cinematic... It's not really cinematic memory, you know, if you think about it. It's not... You don't go outside and you have a big wide shot of mm. the establishing shot of, of, of the place and then you go into another wide shot and, you know, or, or a two shot or something. You can't do that. So to me, I wanted the, I wanted the sets to to unveil itself into the memory or, or for the characters to walk through memories, you know, yeah. to go from... So we actually quite literally had characters jumping out of bed and going through a hole in the wardrobe and appearing in another scene, mm. you know, straight away. There was no cuts in it, you know. So we, we did it all through the camera. Mm. And it is very theatrical, but it's de de deliberately done like that, yeah, you know. I thought maybe is there a reason... Because there's bits when, they, when they're driving or when they're looking at the sea... Yeah. And it, it just looks like maybe something from when Gloria first did a well, film that's in exactly. colour. I'm glad you yeah. said that. Actually, that's good for you, the first person to notice that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. You get gold star for that. Brilliant. Um, yeah, no, we, we tipped our hat. Uh, we didn't want to tell Gloria's backstory, but we definitely wanted to make the audience feel like they were in some kind of 50s movie, mm. you know. Um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the beach scene, for instance, is, 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 is from In a Lonely Place, Humphrey Bogart and her sitting on the beach and I just wanted to do that beach shot because I always thought those, those beach shots are always a bit kind of weird right <laughs> wonderful back projection and we actually did it so well that people don't even notice this back projection but we we wanted to pay homage to that and then the driving scenes back projection it's all through the camera and they and Gloria's um, apartment in New York slightly a little grander than probably it was but we wanted to do a homage to the apartment in the big heat she gets a coffee putting it over her face so we, we, we but, but hopefully nobody even notices that but we I do you know <laughs> I enjoy yeah, it yeah but and, I don't think know, like, even if people do it's, it's part of the charm of the film is yeah if hopefully you do, if you, you know, do know that yeah. then that's part of it um, another film that does get referenced in the in this is uh, is Alien which mm. is not what I was expecting and I was wondering <laughs> whether there was maybe a personal connection for you and maybe was there scenes a recreation of your cinematic memory oh, for of sure. Alien yeah for sure I mean when I, it's one of my f first cinematic memories of coming out and going I would love to do that you know I'd love, I mean, that was just a film that just blew me away you know yeah. so 
But I also remember it as being, there's a funny date movie, you know, because it was that kind of movie. You, you knew that the girl would grab onto you at yeah. one point, you know. So we wanted to use that. That was a nightmare trying to get that clearance. You know, we had to clear every single person in that whole scene. Everyone. So you can imagine getting the clearance from all these amazing um, actors. And they were very generous and they gave us it. But that's the power of having Barbara Broccoli as your yeah. producer. Because um, you know. it's you forget how scary at the time the yeah. chestburster must have been because ja- Jamie Bell's character just dives yeah, right yeah, in. Yeah, dives totally. and yeah, no, it goes the wrong, wrong yeah. way because she's so into it. She's yeah. like, oh, blood and guts everywhere. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, and also, you know, um, I think the... the, the it's, it's interesting because, you know, the alien thing is, is to me, it is kind of paying homage to that time and it puts you on a date right away, you know. It was nice to do it through cinema rather mm-hmm. than just in a music term, you know, yeah. to do it something like that. Cool. Paul McGuigan, thank you oh, so much for joining welcome. us. Welcome, thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, Paul McGuigan there. Yes, uh, he actually gave me my first ever. Uh, oh, no one else has mentioned that before. Wow. Which uh, I was oh, really yeah. pleased about because there's actually some really nice use of rear projection. Uh, yeah. And if you've if you've heard the interview, which <laughs> if you're listening to this, <laughs> you definitely you, have, you have. Unless you decided to skip. Fifteen <laughs> seconds. Fifteen seconds. Yeah. Fifteen seconds. Um, but yeah, we talked about that in the interview. But this um, this idea of kind of uh, doing old style cinematic memories using um, older techniques like rear projection for the cars and for the beaches. Uh, and yeah, I was quite pleased with that. Excellent. Well, good shout Thank on you. your part. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a really nice film, isn't it? Because mm. um, you think in this film about, I mean, it's got a pretty depressing title. Yes. And uh, it sets it up as a kind of tragic romance, which it is. But you assume with this kind of film that the age difference is going to be an issue. And it never is. No. There's not really a character that thinks, what is he doing? What are you doing with her? What are you doing with him? Mm. Not really. It's not a plot point that that's an issue. Yeah. And their their love feels very genuine. Yeah. And um, so weirdly, Barbara Broccoli is a producer on this yeah. film um, who knew Peter Turner and Gloria Graham at that time and said that even during that time, no one thought of it as an issue as right. well. It's It was just never... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think that goes to show just how natural their relationship must have been. Yeah. Um, Paul McGuigan was at what, about a year ago he was a favourite to direct the next Bond right maybe just because of this association with Robert Broccoli that would make sense yeah um, but I mean it's, he's got an interesting track record he's got some odd stuff um, a he, varied career yeah, yeah he says that he's his next project he's directing a few episodes for an Amazon series right. that was 
originally developed by Guillermo del Toro. So he's really kind of yeah. like I find that like it's kind of in a way got that Ang Lee nature to him in that just throw himself into anything. Mm. Um, or Ridley Scott, no, yeah. don't stick to one genre, don't stick to one style, just do everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but this this is a really sweet film and it's really contained. Uh, it's it yeah. doesn't try and um, be about anything more than itself. it is yeah. um, and reach into. Uh, Hollywood and fame and it like it does touch on those things but it's it's really focused on the romance yeah that's the heart of it and I like that it doesn't stray into anything else and also Annette Benning at this stage in her career to do the sort of two punch of 20th century women and then this mm. is very impressive mm. and I think this is the best she's ever been in her career yeah she's she's excellent yes yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah Glory Graham I never knew this story I was vaguely aware of Gloria Graham, but I had no idea that this any of this actually happened. Um, so yeah, really sweet film. Do check out Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Also out this week then is Ingrid Goes West, uh, which you haven't seen. I've not seen. Uh, I have seen. Uh, so this is, the best way to describe it would be, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people have, and I may be stealing a soundbite from someone, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is a single white female for the Instagram generation. Uh, which is so a lot like your life basically yes my life yeah <laughs> um so but where in that film the stalker victim was the protagonist and the stalker was the antagonist the roles are reversed here so we follow Aubrey Plaza as Ingrid who is obsessed with Instagram and she kind of attaches herself to these people that she finds on Instagram and like, wants to be their best friend loves their life and her latest fixation is um, Elizabeth Olsen's character and Ingrid becomes so obsessed with her that she moves to all the way to LA to be with her and to befriend her and copy her lifestyle. Um, so the film has this, it's more comedic than Single White Female. Like Single White Female is in many ways a horror film. This is not that. This is sort of tre as a dark comedy and it treads the fine line between the sort of mental health drama and the comedy. And I think it, it pulls it off. Not in as extreme ways as something like The Voices, though. Not not in that level. I mean, yeah, we're, we're not talking that dark, but it go, it definitely goes to some places that I didn't think it would. Okay, that's because that, that yeah. was my worry is I think there is there is a real issue about this yeah. perfection lifestyle that social networks have created and that people uh, adore and really, yeah. really do get intensely yeah. uh, Fixate, fixated by. Yeah. But no, I, th I think... I think this has a message as well. It has a purpose. And obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but the last scene is indicative of that, of everything the film is saying. Okay. Um, so here is uh, me talking to the film's co-writer and director, Matt Spicer. Uh, welcome to the Curzon podcast, Matt Spicer. Hi. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. me. Um, so the kind of Instagram culture that you show us in the film, it's only a few years old, really. Um, so how long ago did you get this idea and how long ago did you start writing the script? We started writing the script in May of 2015, I want to say. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that long ago. And um, it was it came pretty quickly. I mean, we 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 came up with the idea and then started writing it. And I'd say we had a we we sent it out to uh, actors in November of yeah. 2015. That's when Aubrey came on board, and then we started shooting it last summer. So it was, you know, it's been yeah 
almost two, a little over two years from when we came up with the idea to when yeah. the movie's actually coming out in theaters, which okay. is pretty crazy. Quite quick, quite, yeah. Yeah, especially for Yeah, in the film world, that's very fast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so are you on Instagram yourself? I am, yeah. Okay, and how do you find it compared to Ingrid? <laughs> God, I mean, uh, well, I don't, I, ha I don't have any Ingrids yet that I know right. about. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's funny. It hasn't my life, my social media life hasn't changed that much. I have a few more followers now than I did before the film. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I don't really post that much. I'm more yeah. of a consumer of it, and which is why I think the Ingrid character. You know, I felt I felt more like a voyeur, more like a stalker myself using the yeah. the app. You know, and so I related more to to that character than the Taylor character because you know the idea of putting my life out there to that extent as she does is makes me feel very uncomfortable. I wouldn't yeah. like to do that. <laughs> did the um did the character come first, or did the idea come from you looking at Instagram and just? I think it was. The, the concept, you know, it honestly was one of those kind of Dave and I were having, my co-writer and I were having lunch and we were kind of talking about, oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was a, like a talented Mr. Ripley or yeah. King of Comedy, but with social media and like a social media star. And, you know, I think that idea kind of made us laugh. And then I found myself thinking about it for days after being like, right. you know, there's actually something here maybe. And so I think we sat down again and started digging into it a little bit deeper. And that's sort of where the story came from. Okay. So a lot of people have, and I think will still compare this to a single white female. Sure. Um, but a character in the film points this out as well. Right. Was that in there for you to try and beat people to it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it was. That was sort of how we, you know, whenever you're going to look for the money, it's like you yeah. want to. You need to be able to condense the idea down into something really digestible and that sounds commercial and marketable. So I think that was like our sales pitch was like, oh, it's single white female for social media. You right. know, it's like whatever, and then people's eyes light up and they see dollar signs. Yeah. But they're like, uh, I think we always saw it less like that because that movie's, and, and again, intentionally so, that movie is more from the victim's perspective, yeah. right? And the stalker is the villain of the film. And I, you know, like I said, I find that I relate more to the voyeur and the stalker mm. uh, aspect and so we thought it'd be interesting to sort of flip the script a little bit. And again, there's movies like Chuck and Buck, King of Comedy, uh, Young Adult, um, and Towns of Mr. Ripley, yeah. which are more from the sort of sociopaths, you know, right. perspective that I think are it's more interesting to me to have yeah. show the anti-hero, the other side of it, um, and to be force your audiences to relate to that a character that maybe they wouldn't want to relate to. Were you constantly kind of thinking about having to strike the balance? between Ingrid being a hero and a villain? Like not pushing her too far or where you kind of can just go for it? Yeah, I mean, people always talk about like likability, you yeah. know? Um, but I do think it's, it's slightly sexist, slightly misogynist, because I think there's a lot of unlikable male characters yeah. out there and people don't kind of think twice about it. And then as soon as you have a female doing something that is, right. you know, like at all unlikable or unsavory it's like suddenly people's like hair stands up on the back of their neck you know it's yeah. like so i think which also we were aware of too that i think a lot of those movies that i named before have have men as the as the you know main character and so we want it we're like well we don't need another male anti-hero yeah. let's try something a little bit different and what about the balance between the kind of more thriller aspects i suppose of the film and the comedy was that a kind of hard balance to to strike 
it was a yeah it was a it was like a trial and error i would yeah. say but it, to me the comedy was always there to you know uh to release the pressure valve so to speak because i think it's you know a lot of people watching the film they're like i'm so anxious I'm like my yeah. stomach's in a knot the whole time i'm watching it and the comedy i think provides a relief from that to a certain degree and makes it a little bit more pleasant i think of an experience yeah. <laughs> otherwise it'd be unbearable and so I also think it, the comedy provides like a nice Trojan horse for, sure. you know, to make a film that then people can talk about a kind of more serious issue. Yeah. Um, so I think like Audrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen are both perfect casting. Were they in your mind at all when writing it? Um, no, but we didn't, I didn't really we didn't really write it with anybody in right, mind. Okay. I think we wrote it. We we didn't think that we were going to be able to get actors of that yeah. caliber you know i think we wrote it thinking oh right, we'll make this for you know a couple hundred grand if we if yeah. we can you know with our friends um but obviously i've been a fan of both of them for yeah. a long time both of theirs and um it was just i was like again not expecting to that they would ever read the script and want to do it um so yeah you mentioned there that you kind of thought it would be this really low budget film that you just make with your friends how was it when it suddenly kind of ballooned up into this higher budget you know well i was really excited because i thought that i was like oh well we'll have more time more yeah. you know money and but the irony is that i think it's still a small budget film yeah. and you never have enough time and you never sure. have enough money so yeah. it was always you know you i think you just you know it's like you have more money more money goes to the crew you know to yeah. pay them an actual living wage <laughs> so it's yeah. like you know the money has a way of just disappearing regardless i think of the budget and i hear that in people who've done much larger films that it's yeah. just there's still not enough time or sure. money what was it like then having your you know theatrical feature film debut be, be this this big um I mean, it's awesome. I really, it's, you know, you make films and you want yeah. people to see them, you know, so I think it's, it's, it's great. You know, I'm, I'm, I could not be more happy with like the fact that we got into Sundance and that it came out yeah. in theaters and, and all these things. It was all of our, my goals for the film have been exceeded and yeah. then some. Awesome. Um, so can we talk about two things that happened on set that I read about that sure. delayed the production? Yeah, I think I know what's coming. Okay. Yeah. So one of those was the Santa Clarita bushfire. Yes. And the other one is you walking through a glass door? Correct. Okay. Yes. How much did, did those two events affect the film? <laughs> Where you think, oh my God. Um, well, the it was more of just par for the course. I feel like every yeah. day there was some disaster that we had to deal with. <laughs> and so the, the fire was just, uh, you know, one more thing that we had to contend with but it was like uh but yeah we had to evacuate the set and then uh we hadn't even started shooting so it was kind of we got a, a three-day yeah. weekend and we had to come back and obviously make it up later which was a nightmare because we had to do a six-day week but um me walking through the glass door was uh you know it was one of those things where it's just like yeah at the end of a long day yeah. and i we were shooting outside this really nice you know postmodern house or whatever yeah. i guess no it's mod mid-century modern house and they had shined up the windows really you know make, nice make them nice and yeah. clean because there were fingerprints all over them from everyone walking in and out all day and i think i literally called cut and i just turned and just plowed right through and uh i just i froze thankfully i didn't walk through the glass was like raining yeah. down in front of me and uh I just turn around and the entire cast and crew are all just standing there with their mouths open like yeah. they were like a poster for a Wes Anderson movie, you know, it's literally <laughs> like 
the ensemble yeah. cast. And uh, I just hear someone yell, medic, like from the back, and then someone comes running out. And thankfully, I only had this little, it was like, it's only like this big scar on my okay. elbow. But that was it. But there yeah. was, I was bleeding. I didn't know where from or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they rushed me to the emergency room, and it was just three stitches. But, right, okay. you know, it's just, I, Aubrey pulled me aside the next day, and she was like, thank God you broke through the door and you didn't just bounce off of it because she's like otherwise I don't think anyone would ever respect you again <laughs> on the set I was like I think you're probably right um, so yeah you mentioned that the film premiered at Sundance yes um, but that's quite a long time I guess for the film to have its premiere and then kind of lay dormant for a few months what are those months yeah. like when it's kind of the film's done people have seen it but you've still got a while before it's all over it's it makes you very anxious. It's like you know, but it's it's funny because I think we started then getting back out there in June. So yeah, I guess it was about four or five months of you know, but yeah. it's but it's, it was good kind of in a way because it let me separate from it and to a degree and figure out what the next thing was going to be. Um, but also weird because it's like now here I am like doing interviews yeah. in you know October and so it's been almost. Yeah, eight or nine months since. So it's it is very strange um, that it takes. It's you know it's such a long cycle of like it yeah. takes so long to get these things. But that's what it, you know to get the trailer and the poster and all these things right. it takes time to get that stuff right. So. Yeah, the poster is incredible, by the way. Oh, thanks, um, thanks. Can you talk about like who designed that and your input on it? Um, yes, I'm blanking on the company's name okay. at the moment because we did have a couple, so I don't remember which one the final company but it was uh it was tricky because we didn't have you know being a low budget movie we didn't have great on-set photography yeah. so you know we going with the the animated poster yeah. allowed us you know to get all the characters in there without being having to schedule a photo shoot because trying to get all those actors in the same room together is yeah you know a challenge and um i think it was like their the movie kind of has like an 80s kind of vibe yeah. to it and so i kind of liked the the 80s vibe of the drawing on yeah. the poster, you know, it just yeah. fit the film for some reason. And then finally then, um, you're writing the Rocketeer remake, is that correct? Co yeah, co-writing it with uh, Max Winkler, yeah. yeah. And how's that going? What is it like writing it's, for Disney? It's great. I mean, the, it's I love working for Disney. I mean, I've, you know, they're such a part of your yeah. childhood, everyone's childhood, I feel like. And um, But I loved the original movie and yeah. always kind of dreamed of making a sequel. And um, so when it came up, as that they were like, "Do you want to pitch on this?" We were we jumped at it, and you know it's great. They're, Disney knows exactly what kind of movies they okay. want to make. You know they're not they they and you all everyone knows what a Disney movie feels like yeah. and looks like. So um, we're just trying not to not to disappoint anybody. Yeah. You know we want to make the best version of it. Excellent, Matt Spicer. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. nice to meet you. Cheers. Nice to meet you. Um, the reason it got a bit weird in the middle there is because we were stopped because they said, oh, a fire alarm's about to go off, which then did not happen. <laughs> so we just carried on. Was it because the conversation was just so hot? So hot. They're like, oh, guys, you're going to sell the fire alarms. <laughs> I can just see it happening. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. It was pretty spicy. <laughs> okay. Um, and that is it for this uh, jam-packed episode. Uh, so well, a double episode. Yeah. Be. So actually, if if you're for some reason only listening to this one, um, do go back in time yeah. and listen to the good time chat um, about good time that you good and time. Ryan had. We had a very good time. Oh, no one God. made that joke. Really? Us, because we're above you. Yeah, that's true. We're you not, are. We, we you knew are. it and we thought, oh, that's too easy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so Good Time is also out now, along with um, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool and Angry Goes West. What a week. What a week. It's a pretty good week. It's a very good week. And um, if you fancy staying at home, Good Time is on Cousin Home Cinema. And also Paddington 2 is still out in cinemas as well. There are other films. <laughs> no, there's not. Justice League is out now as well. Oh, yeah. The reviews came out. As, as we record, the reviews came out this morning. Yeah. That's all the time we have this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.